Welcome to Haptic Feedback with Shaco, mobile by design. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Haptic Feedback with Shaco. I'm your host, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the show. Today, we're diving into some of the similarities and differences of developing for iOS and Android. And joining me today are two experts in these fields. First, we have John Surface. He leads the Android team at Shaco. John, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And today, we are also joined by Justin Boswell. He leads the iOS team at Shaco. Justin, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Tyler. Glad to be here. Excellent, excellent. Well, guys, let's start off. Uh, John, let's start off with you and talk a little bit about Android to kick things off. What are some of the positives of developing for Android uh, that, that you've experienced in your time doing that? I would say the number one positive for developing for Android is the community that you get, uh, the developer community and support that's out there. I think there's a sort of a, a small learning curve for a lot of developers getting into Android because you started out uh, with Java which a lot of people learn in school. So there's a really easy entry point into then translating that into uh, learning Android. Uh, so then the developer community, it ends up uh, being more uh, open and there's a lot more support out there uh, for helping develop. I also think just general entry, just as an individual uh, into developing uh, for Android is, uh, is easier because you know, you develop your first Android app, you publish to the store, it's a $25 one-time fee to publish your app, and then you're done for the rest of your life. I know there's the process is slightly more involved on the iOS side, uh, not to start taking shots at Justin this early on. <laughs> We'll, we'll get Justin's feedback here in just a moment, but what do you feel like that, that open platform aspect of things does on the Android side? Just that it, it seems like Entry, the, the barrier to entry is a little bit lower and maybe some of the guidelines are a little less strict. And so you maybe get a more variety of, uh, uh, of styles and that sort of thing. Do you feel like that's, that's to Android's benefit just to have a, a little bit more open of a platform that allows more people to kind of jump in and experiment? Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say that for the most part, I mean, um, Android, the place where obviously they have community guidelines for what you can and cannot publish on there. Mm -hmm. um, I would say for the most part, if you're a, a good actor making a good faith attempt at creating an app, like you're not trying to steal people's data, your app is going to get published and you're, uh, you're going to be on the Play Store. I think that can be, there's a difference with iOS there where there are some more nuances and gotchas where, you know, there are, there are guidelines that you may not realize until it's time to submit to the store. That's interesting. So what about some of the drawbacks? Can that openness also kind of lead to uh, there being a lot of apps and, uh, and maybe it's harder to kind of rise to the top because it is a little bit more open. You have more people that are able to develop and utilize Android. Is that the case? Or what are some of the drawbacks in your mind having developed for, uh, for Android? Uh, well, I guess some of the drawbacks... Um, in terms of, it, it is more democratic in that sense that there are, uh, which can be a good or a bad thing, obviously, you know, uh, you can have your, you know, small app rise to the top. In terms of reaching people, it's a pro and a con that uh, Android does seem to be more of a, uh, a global operating system, uh, especially um, in areas of Asia and Africa. Uh, what you get is you uh, tend to see a wide variety of uh, devices and uh, levels of the operating system. 
there are over 24,000 different types of Android devices out there. And I can tell you the number of iOS devices is a lot less. And uh, so that means you're developing for a wide variety of uh, processor speeds and screen sizes. And there isn't just sort of a, a smaller set that you have to target. So that, that's good because it provides accessibility to people who can't afford an iPhone, let's say. And, uh, but it also means there's a, a wider range of uh, things that can go wrong or, or vary on different devices. That's a really interesting point because, like you mentioned, uh, if you're developing for iOS, you know it's pretty much just iPhone and iPad, right? Um, and so uh, a pretty limited uh, number of devices. But if you're developing for Android, you have to take into account probably like the newest Galaxy phone or whatever, which might have certain capabilities and look a certain way and you know be able to go certain speeds, right? All the way down to something lesser, and I don't want to, I don't know, name a brand or uh, a phone or something, like that, but but like a lesser phone other than like the brand new Galaxy that just came out or something like that, right? And so there's there's probably a pretty wide variance there. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's not just the devices themselves, it's the operating systems that are supported. Uh, globally, the, the latest version of Android is Android 11. And uh, globally, uh, fewer than 10% of Android users have adopted it. Uh, because Android is far less uh, aggressive in uh, forcing its users to upgrade to the latest operating system. So not only are you dealing with these different uh, types of devices, you're different. You're dealing with different uh, compatibility issues. Uh, going back to you know it being pretty common for someone to have an Android device running four versions of Android behind than was current. Wow, that's that's really really interesting, and uh, and and certainly something to to keep in mind. I would I would guess when it comes to uh, when it comes to developing, um, Justin, we've let you stay quiet probably for far too long. Uh, how would you react to to what John laid out as the positives and negatives of developing for Android? Since you're on the other side of the coin, do you agree with his assessment and, and kind of what he's laid out about Android? Yeah, I think he makes a lot of great points uh, about Android development as compared to iOS, especially when it comes to device support. Um, we don't have as many devices to manage um, and having support for our applications on, as well as as many OS versions back that we have to support. Um, typically, we, we follow a general rule of thumb of two versions back from the latest version. And with the adoption rate on iOS being so good, everyone's usually up on the latest version. So we don't have to worry as much about dialing back and supporting later versions. Um, not to say we don't have to deal with some of that, um, especially with the new M1 chips that Apple's been putting out for you know development and some of their devices. Um, it does create some roadblocks um, through development as well and supporting you know different devices. And they have also added support for, for Catalyst, which allows you to put mobile applications on a Mac OS hmm. computer. So you can take your mobile application that you've created for an iPad or for an iPhone actually have that run uh, on a MacBook or any Mac OS device. So that is some of the hurdle that we are starting to introduce with, with the M1 chip that Apple's been putting out. That's really interesting. I think maybe some added context would be, and, and John, you can correct me if I'm wrong about this, but some of the added context is that Android is pretty much a, a, a global, like more globally popular elsewhere in the world than it is here in the United States, right? Whereas here in the United States, Apple is more popular, but that's definitely not the case. Uh, if you go abroad, if you leave the United States. Am I right about that? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, the common culture here dictates, like, you don't even call it your phone, you call it my iPhone. Um, and, and I accept that, you know, uh, living in America, that it's uh, most people have iPhones. I've definitely been lampooned on the group chat for making people's messages show up green. 
That is true. But yeah, that's definitely not the case. I think Americans might find that surprising that people don't really have iPhones to the extent that we do here abroad. That is true. And a lot of the projects we work on, I mean, a lot of the applications are more tailored to focusing on that iOS experience, even if we do have an Android experience that's similar because of that, that customer outreach and that adoption in the US. Justin, do you keep in mind the fact that that maybe the, the audience for, for different, I don't know, applications might be different for Apple and, uh, and Android? Is that something that you think about on a regular basis, that it might be a primarily you know, predominantly American audience for an iOS application as opposed to an Android one? Yeah, you know, we always want to put like the customers first and what our user base is actually going to be um, through any kind of strategy or analytics that we have uh, in our approach to the features and the applications that we provide. That definitely like comes into mind um, during that process. That's interesting. So um, I feel like you started to tell us maybe some of the benefits of, of developing for iOS earlier, but give us some of your thoughts on that um, and, and what those benefits are, or the positives for, for developing the iOS as opposed to Android. For me, it's always been working within the Apple ecosystem. Um, all of the tools that they provide work seamlessly together. There's a lot of first-party support and a lot of community integration into making things look and feel like they're Apple products. Um, and everything works seamlessly for the most part. So through Xcode that Apple provides, then we have to work within a macOS system to be able to develop those applications. It really makes, you know, the part from development to publishing the application and using it across all of those devices um, a real pleasure to use, as well as Apple's design system um, and there's a HIG guidelines for how iOS applications should look and feel for users. The native controls that they provide out of the box for the different elements that we want to convey to our users to provide the functionality within our applications becomes a real joy to use. They're very seamless and they're intuitive and we can do a lot of custom customization for user behavior. Absolutely. So I, I guess one of the things that, that I feel like I've learned through this conversation is that there are advantages to both, right? But with those advantages, there can also there are times when that can be a negative, right? Uh, with Android, a lot of freedom, a lot of ability to to create and lower barriers to entry, but that can also come with its challenges, right? And with Apple, you know, having or, or iOS devices and, and developing apps for iOS, you have a little bit more rigid of a structure, it sounds like to me. Uh, and, and that can certainly be a positive in that it gives you some parameters and uh, some ways of working through it. But does that also come with its negatives? Yeah, definitely. You have to have a Mac OS computer in order to develop uh, iOS applications. Uh, that's yeah. been a pain point in the past uh, for, for some of the developers that we've brought on board. Uh, and just kind of gives you that barrier to entry in order to be able to develop those apps. You also have to, to buy a developer subscription, whether that's consumer or enterprise. It does come with a yearly fee that you have to pay for um, in order to mm -hmm. get that publisher applications in order to start working with those and to distribute them to, to end users and not just develop them for yourselves. Along with that and that subscription, you do have to manage certificates and profiles, signing identities, um, and then the barrier of the App Store review to actually get that published for the public to be able to use your application. Um, the App Store guidelines are very stringent. It does take a, a review process once you get your application up there. So it does make it a bit more difficult when developing uh, iOS applications. But that's not all bad. It is for better. It's why things are there. It's more secure. It's more private. Your applications are going to be groomed for security as well as actual functionality and value that it provides on the App Store. This way, it's not clogging up the, the Play Store or the App Store with you know applications that we have seen a wide variety of already there. Um, and it actually limits the choices of you know what the users can have based off you know 
what what provides actual value to them. Mm-hmm. Of course, that does lead to having competition within the App Store a bit. So who can actually have the better version of that application? Another big primary focus that's been with Apple recently is privacy. With the new inclusions with iOS 14 and above um, and enforcing app tracking transparency to make sure that these applications aren't collecting advertising identifiers and selling or sharing your user information with with other companies and third-party companies. So that's actually been a new step that's come into the App Store review process and with all of the applications that you put on the App Store to provide a, a privacy policy that actually discloses all of the tracking that you do within your application. While that may have been not been something that was thought of within mobile applications before, since it's now actually been introduced, it's become something of, uh, of great importance that's also another kind of you know barrier to, to creating iOS applications that does make it a bit more strict, as you mentioned. That's really interesting. So I suppose, John, what do you think about uh, what, what Justin said about uh, iOS? How, how does that hit you as someone who's on the other side uh, developing for Android? I, I agree with a lot of what Justin said. I think that um, Apple users are are paying for that more stringent review process and that their privacy. You know, that's just, that's what Apple is selling right now. And Google isn't hasn't quite um, committed to doing that same level of, uh, of uh, privacy, that, that commitment. Um, and I think that's just what, you know, a, a decision that users have to, to make when they're choosing uh, between the platforms. To Justin's point about the, uh, the review process in the stores, it does make me think of a, a time, it sort of goes back to you know, my point about um, creating a good faith app. I remember we, we were submitting an app. Uh, we have a, a client that's involved in uh, dairy production and it involves uh, certain images of udders that help uh, farmers uh, uh, with their herds and the iOS app store flagged some of the images in there as potentially inappropriate uh, for young children, but we didn't face the same problems on the Android Play Store. That's a that's a really funny example. Uh, <laughs> I like that. I like that. So we focused a lot on the differences um, between the two platforms, but Justin, are there similarities? Are, are, are they, in the end, is, is it all that different? Uh, talk to me a little bit more about that and maybe some of the similarities between uh, developing for the two platforms. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we're both creating mobile applications uh, that provide an end user experience. And if you take two applications and everything else aside, they're going to have a lot of the same features, but they might look and feel a little bit slightly different based off the platform to kind of give Android users the, the app that they would expect, that feeling those native Android controls, something like a, a switch might work a little bit differently, but if it gives you this, the same behavior, or menus might look a little bit differently on Android compared to iOS. So at the end of the day, the development and the actual product you're delivering is going to be about the same. And there's a lot of ways that both of these platforms natively during development are starting to really become uh, similar in the direction that they're taking. Um, on iOS, we primarily develop in Swift, which is a very um, fun and easy to read and good to use language. Um, it's very simple and it's refined and it's not as clunky as something like Objective-C or Java. Where Android side has actually introduced Kotlin, which has a lot of similarities to Swift and how it's written and how you work with it and their ability to use optionals as an example or you know having values that could potentially be uh, nil or nullable. And as well as something that Android has introduced that was around Kotlin, you know, multi-platform frameworks. So that's another way that you could potentially share Android code with, with an iOS application. And then we also work with cross-platform apps like React Native, which do one app, t- an iOS application and an Android application out of one project. 
And that has a very declarative UI and this kind of reactive data binding, if you will. And iOS has introduced something similar to that with Swift UI. And it's kind of bringing in to the fold like a very similar way of developing across the applications. And was it Jetpack Compose, uh, John, on the Android side that start to kind of follow uh, a similar you know UI creation as to that? Yeah, so you know, with Jetpack Compose and Swift UI, you've sort of got these uh, declarative UI toolkits that uh, are going to start making iOS and Android development look very, very similar. In addition to uh, Android and iOS, uh, to the user looking pretty similar. I don't think they're that far apart, as, as Justin was saying. Um, and yeah, it's, it's going to the development is even going to look similar to uh, some of the cross-platform. Uh, development that we've seen. So these things are very new, but it's, it's it's exciting for us, you know, to be able to get closer into how we relate to our development and be able to work together to um, solve common problems, you know, using very similar tools and languages that are, are written very similarly. That's interesting. You can allow two guys like you guys at Shaco to be able to collaborate maybe a little bit more than you did in the past. Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's always coming down to problem solving and implementation and how you do this and how you do that. Um, but now it could get very close, much closer to, you know, our implementations, looking at both projects being very similar. Yeah. And I would say that um, we, between the two platforms, we probably work closer than, than people might normally expect. Um, I mean, there's, you obviously have to have the two separate code bases when you're developing for native, but from a testing perspective, from a logic perspective, so much goes into um, you know making sure you have the business rules right on the app that there ends up being a lot of collaboration on the the, the logic and the the business side of things uh, in the app that you know the the two platforms on a given project are, are certainly not divorced from each other. Ah, that's that's really interesting and, and and really cool to hear. So, guys, as we kind of start to wrap things up here today uh, for our conversation, uh, maybe what's what's one thing that you hope people learn or walk away with or understand about developing for these two platforms after they listen to this podcast? Is there anything that you really want people to walk away with or understand? Um, Justin, let me toss it to you first. For me, it's really identifying those key differences between the two platforms as we are today, and kind of where things are going to be heading in the future. Um, they definitely have their rules and restrictions about development. Um, they both, as you kind of mentioned, about which customer are you trying to reach and which users are you trying to reach, whether they're in the U.S., outside of the U.S.? What what are you going to be capable of? What do you need to look for in a developer when you're making those applications? And then kind of where both of these platforms are going in the future. Um, they're not as going as far apart as they would and creating more differences. They're actually creating things that are much more in common with each other and actually unifying how mobile applications are developed across pl- both platforms. Interesting stuff. Uh, yeah, that's 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 really really good. And John, what about you? What what's, what are your thoughts? What do you want people to walk away with after they listen to this here today? Um, I would say that you know the knowledge that you know Android and iOS developers are friends. They're in a you know a, a common um, union to make apps that are not uh, cross platform. Let's say I don't have anything against cross platform apps because you know that that could be what's right for a, a given client or um, a given user experience, but. If you do decide to go native, you're going to make a, a native iOS app and a native Android app, and you know we're going to work together. Justin and I are going to work together in that case, um, and so uh, we're allies. Allies, despite your differences, then. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. John Surface and Justin Boswell. Guys, thank you so much for joining me here on Haptic Feedback with Shaco uh, to share a little bit more about the similarities, the differences, and where things are going in the future in terms of iOS and Android development. Guys, it's been a pleasure having you on. 
Thank you. Thank you, Tyler. It's great to be here. Absolutely. And everyone, thank you for tuning into this episode of Haptic Feedback. Of course, make sure to go subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify to stay up to date with the latest from Shaco. And stay tuned. We'll be back soon with more episodes of the show. But until then, for my guests today, Justin and John, I've been your host, Tyler Kern. Thanks for joining us.